All right, cool. Um, so um, I would like to welcome everybody to our latest edition of Break a Hacker to Work Day. Um, very excited. Um, we were actually supposed to speak with Alex um, maybe two weeks ago, um, and then <laughs> life happened, so we rescheduled. So I'm happy we were able to get it rescheduled for today. So um, Alex, uh, tell us, what is, this, what is it that you do? Sorry. Sure, yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, so yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm uh, really happy to meet you asked me to be here and talk with you guys. So um, I, I guess I guess my official like on the books title is um, uh, technical solutions engineer. I, I find that I'm more in a customer success role, um, generally, generally post-sales. And um, I work for a company called For All Secure. And our main thing that we do is um, fuzz testing and uh, penetration testing as part of DevSecOps, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and yeah, so um, it's it's kind of cool. We basically try to break things. And then um, once we've figured out a way to break things, we usually responsibly disclose it. And then our, our, our product basically helps customers break things themselves. So they don't have to wait for somebody to break stuff. Basically the whole, the whole principle I think is to hack yourself before somebody else hacks you, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of that's what I do. Okay. Um, and so how did you get to, did you go to school to become a technical solutions um, engineer? Uh, or? No, I don't think anyone ever does. Um, well, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's some people who do, but um, so I actually, I went to my undergrad in Boston University and I originally was studying music and I studied music for about two, I, I I was, I played it very risky. Um, you're supposed to really decide on a major by uh, your end of your sophomore year. And it wasn't until the beginning of my junior year that I picked computer science. So fully two years into my undergrad where I was like, I need to, you know, overload on classes or something. Um, the music thing didn't work out. Um, I had, uh, there was a lot of reasons why it didn't work out. Um, uh, but I had taken a couple of CS courses in my freshman year and so I did computer science I was really into systems at the time especially operating systems when I did start um, so my junior senior year I was like fully into computer science um they graduated and kind of didn't really know what I was doing um but uh, I ended up finding a uh, an interview for uh, just a like very kind of low-level support job like support uh, like tech, tech support tech support job and that's kind of what started me on my tra trajectory was was accepting that job offer absolutely um so uh, a lot of folks say that their first job off the gate is like uh either tech support or systems admin that types of vibe mm -hmm. so um how did that you know how, how did that go and how did that play into you know i guess your 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 evolution you know it's it's really interesting so on my in my senior year of college i don't know if you're familiar with the company epic they're a medical, the video game. Oh no, oh, it's there. Not, there's another one. There's and they do the medical um, record systems. So. Medical record systems. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yes. So they um they're really into uh, recent grads, um and they, they, you know they they fly you out to I think it's Madison, Wisconsin. So I was in I was in Boston at the time. Um I thought I was going to stay in Boston. They uh, flew me out for an interview. Um they flew they they fly a lot of people out for interviews. Um I guess that's kind of their thing. And I thought it was going to be kind of what you said, system system admin type thing. And I got like all the way through the interview process. And I was talking to the woman who was interviewing me. And 
I don't know how she figured this out. Uh, maybe she just like divined it somehow. But she said, I don't think you want to work here. So I was like, I didn't even know it myself. Like, you know, when you're first out of college, you want to work it. You don't care. You have no standards, right? You're like, pay I me. will pay yeah, <laughs> just I need a job. My mom will be so disappointed in me if I am back in her in my like childhood bedroom. So I was like ready. I was like ready to drop everything. Madison, Wisconsin for for life, baby. You know, that was that was what I was about to be. And um, she she said, I don't think you're right for this job. And so then I didn't I didn't get the job. And it took me about, I, I probably sent out interviews everywhere. Um, and I had a, a good friend of mine from college who's from San Francisco. And so I started looking at jobs in San Francisco. It's a big, it's a big tech scene. And somehow happened on this uh, tech support job. Again, it was kind of entry level and went through a couple interview processes. And at the same time, there was a, a similar job um, that had taken me through the final steps. And it was based in my hometown, which is Louisville, Kentucky. My mom really wanted me to obviously stay in my hometown because then she'd be close to me. You know, San Francisco is a long, long ways away from Kentucky. And uh, I don't know, I, I kind of felt it kind of felt like the right move to me. And a lot of my friends, they were getting jobs in their hometowns and stuff like that. And, you know, they were doing well and I, I hadn't had a job yet. And so it was a bit of a risky move for me to pack up everything and go to San Francisco, especially for, again, like an entry level tech support job. It ended up being like one of the best decisions I made because that opened up so many doors for me. You know, San Francisco is a huge tech hub. And so like just being there, I think was more important than like my, you know, my resume. It was more important than like some of the, you know, I had skills and things like I had done this. I think just being there and being where so many jobs were opening up was was really really important so starting that tech job and moving to san francisco really kind of opened up a lot of opportunity for me so it's, it's interesting um you 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 know i know you say you started off as music and you ended up a computer science like did mm -hmm. were any of the jobs that you applied for um like developer type roles yeah so um my first trip out to san francisco i actually had two interviews lined up um one was with a company called synopsis which I ended up working for for about five years. And the other company was um, for Unity. Um, and this was going to be, I was hoping to do like game design with Unity and like eventually like sound design. Tie it back to the music. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was trying to do. And when I, I landed, I was there for a day. Both interviews were supposed to be, I, I like landed like Wednesday night, I had Thursday, and then both interviews were supposed to be Friday. And then Unity, like, called me on Thursday or something. They're like, hey, we, we can't do the interview. We move forward with another candidate. And I'm like, okay, well, good thing I didn't like fly across the country or anything for that interview. Just for this, yeah. Yeah, that, you know. And it's it's also funny now, this was, what, 2015, right? So Zoom interviews are so much more common these days. But um, in uh, I don't know. I don't know what the whole shift from in-person to Zoom interviews happened or if it's still happening. But in any case... Yeah, um, I that that job was more going to be more of a developer type role, and I really just accepted the the tech support job because it was San Francisco. I was ready to take a risk. I was ready to move somewhere, ready to get out of Kentucky. N nothing's wrong with Kentucky. I love Kentucky, but there's a lot more opportunity in you know the SF tech area, and I was just you know it just it felt like the right move to me at the time. So yeah, I ended up taking that tech support role. Okay, and then how long did you stay there? So um, I think that was a very 
critical part of my journey into software security. So Synopsys had just acquired a company called Coverity, which was a static analysis company. And again, I was doing tech support. I barely knew anything about anything. I had a couple of a uh, couple of guys who were, you know, old old software heads who who knew a lot about everything, and they really helped me just kind of get my my feet wet, get you know my bearings and everything. Um, I'm really grateful to the people who helped me just kind of learn super basic stuff. Um, I was at Synopsys in total about I want to say five years. But I was only in this tech support capacity for about a year. Um, uh, as I don't know if this is luck or me just being crazy, but I happen to speak Japanese. Um, uh, I studied abroad in Osaka, Japan in high school when I was 16, 17 years old. And so I speak, you know, I speak Japanese fluently. And is that on your resume? It is on my resume. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Random. Go ahead. No, you're all good. Um, and we uh, happen to have a customer success team. It's kind of a crazy story. I'll, I'll try and I'll try and put all the parts together. So we had a customer success team in Tokyo, Japan, um, that was just being started up. There was another individual on my team who had been on my team for way longer than I had. He was a sales engineer, and he was interested in working abroad for a year. And so some you know, some people in my company started trying to open up opportunities for this other individual to work abroad for a year, originally in Japan, but then they realized, oh, you know, we need somebody who really speaks the language. So then they just started looking for somebody, like, if it wasn't for him wanting to work abroad, and if it wasn't for me speaking Japanese, and if it wasn't for this, like, new, like, acquisition, yeah, then I, all of those things kind of, like, fell into place. For whatever reason, they're like, yeah, this kid who's straight out of college, you, you speak Japanese, go over there. So they sent me over there for six months. I worked in Tokyo. Um, it was great. I had a great time. And I, I spent a lot of my time building up the CS team. It was a very difficult time. Um, a lot of the uh, employees in the Tokyo office were like twice my age. They were like, what are you doing? They like one, one person actually sat me down in a meeting. He's like, so why are you here? Like, what are you doing here? And I felt really like, I felt really bad. I felt really embarrassed. I was like, I wanted to prove myself. So it worked really hard. We did some interviewing. We did some hiring. Um, I kind of helped translate a lot of documents um, for the uh, CS team in Japan. When I came back to San Francisco after my six month stay, the guy who was the lead of the customer success team was like, well, do you want to just keep doing this? And I said, sure. So that's kind of what put me into this more like technical solutions role because our CS team there was doing a lot of professional services at the time. So I had to learn super fast to do all this stuff, but it was such a great opportunity for me to go over there because it, again, opened, I think saying yes to a lot of these things opened uh, so many opportunities that I probably would not have had if I had picked the safer, less risky routes. Mm -hmm. So after you, um, you you come back, they're like, hey, do you want to stick around? So um, did you get more involved in like the static analysis tools? And does that like how yes. you got introduced into all of the, the things? My role previously was really just tech support. It was trying to solve problems. If I couldn't figure out a problem, I would kick it over to engineering. They would fix it and then they would kick it back to me. Once I started doing customer success is when I really got to think a, a bit, a little bit ho more holistically about security because I would basically, we'd have customers that would purchase, you know, static analysis as part of their, you know, it would either be like a, a top-down mandate, like somebody, you know, says, you know, we have to 
do security now. So that's that's our requirement. And now, you know, we need to buy some tools or we need to like add this into our process. So it wasn't just me like solving one-off problems anymore. It was, it was me like really understanding the motivation behind organizations um, adding security into their process and really understanding why people wanted to add security tools. But also like a huge part of it was like realizing that like people kind of hate security tools if, it, if it's a blocker, if it's something that prevents them from doing their work, they, they hate it. And that was another challenge that I had to solve. So it wasn't just solving technical challenges anymore. I had gotten pretty good at solving the technical challenges, but now we're just solving these, like, I would say almost political challenges, right? Because there's the developers team and then there's the systems team and security team. And a lot of times they're at odds with each other. You know, the security team doesn't always understand enough about the development process to understand that if they ask a developer to do this, it might be really difficult. The development team doesn't know why we're doing security. And, uh, you know, the operations team is just saying, hey, don't break my builds. I, I like I'm up until like three in the morning every day fixing builds. Please don't add more things that will break my builds. So um, that's a really great synopsis of like life right now. Yeah, <laughs> For everybody. yeah it's, it's it's really it's really understanding kind of the political nature between um, the groups that are going to be interacting with your tools, which I thought was fascinating. So it wasn't just me like oh, I can fix this technical problem, but like, what's the best solution that would make everyone happy? I can't make everyone 100% happy, but if I can make everyone's lives a little bit easier, um, like who do I need to approach? Like what group of people, like should it be the developers? Should it be the ops team? Do I need to approach first in order for this to, to work? And that was that was really interesting to me and kind of something that took it beyond just the, hey, why is this command not working? What, you know, why is this dependency not there? I had all those skills now at that point. And so it was taking that a step further and like understanding the impetus and the why behind a lot of that stuff that was really helpful. So at this point, you still don't have any, like, do you, do you have a security title at this point? And do you, you don't have like any, for example, mm. like certifications or you've got basically your degree and you've got like, hey, I've been in the right place in the right time. And I took a couple of great chances on myself. Yep. And so, but you know, at this point, you're not like technically in security. And was That's, security your goal at that point? You're just like, hey, I just need to it, keep working. You know, it really wasn't. But I found that I was super interested in it as a as a topic. And I didn't even realize why I was interested in, in it as a topic. I, I had started to remember back when I was like really young, elementary school, middle school. And we used to play pranks on like the computer lab people where we would like, you know, we would save, you know, you would make an Internet Explorer icon, but you would change the command to be something like shut down the computer or like open up a bunch of like cat pictures or something like that. And people would then and then you would just say that there or you would. Another thing that was fun that we would do is like we would take a screenshot of the whole desktop with all the icons and then set that as the background and delete all the icons so that nobody could use them. It's like these silly things where I would engage in this sort of like adversarial behavior like or like oh it's like i wonder if we can take this website down with like low orbit iron cannon like that could be funny haha <laughs> and now working in this role where i'm kind of like on the other side of it i was i started to realize i'm like oh i actually do have a lot of requisite knowledge for security if you think about it as kind of trying like a lot of the stuff that i was doing as a kid is kind of like a joke is a very like crude example of what hackers end up trying to do to organizations and to individuals to 
at, at, at best case, you know, disrupt the peace, maybe, you know, um, make things a little bit no, uh, more annoying. And at the worst case, you know, stealing data and, and causing, you know, you know, ransomware and things like that. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I actually do have a lot of background and actually like this. It also helped at the time that um, one of our uh, VPs of something happened to hold uh, a CISSP. Mm -hmm. And he decided that everyone should get one of these. Um, I did not get one. I have a CSSLP, which is a little bit easier to um, take a take a quiz and, and, and get. And I think I did also certified ethical hacker for a while. Um, I let that lapse because I didn't find it. It was um, serving me so much. Yeah, it was just kind of like memorizing command line flags. I'm like, that's not interesting. But the CSSLP was pretty interesting. Um, it was helpful. And I started to just kind of like, it was helpful because my, our whole company was kind of doing it. So like sales engineers, CS um, support, they were all kind of working towards these, these goals. So we could like talk to each other and like share the same language. And since customers were always asking us for things all the time, like they were looking at us like we were the security experts. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, and this is something I, I think people have trouble understanding um, when they're hiring for a security role, and they look for the technical things. They're like, hey, you need to know C, C++. Hey, you need to know um, how Docker works or how Jenkins works. Yes, I agree, totally. But customers don't typically come to security companies for C and C++ expertise. Their developers are the C and C++ experts. So their developers are the Docker experts. What they're coming to you for is security expertise. So yes, it's good. It's important to know C and C++, but no one's coming to you for C advice, they're coming to you for security advice. And I, I found that, you know, taking those exams, adding that CSSLP to my resume, you know, it's, it's helpful. I don't think it helped me get any jobs, but it was just so helpful for me to be able to speak a language that I only really had seen like obscured. And now I kind of like had like direct interaction with it. I was able to have so much more fruitful conversations with customers that maybe they, you know, the, the, obviously the sales goal is to get more deals or whatever. I don't really care so much about that. What I care about is like, are the things that we are doing valuable and useful? Do they add value? Are they adding, making things more secure? Are we like making the process easier and more secure in, in that whole, you know, procedure? So yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I ended up doing. So, so you said that uh, for all secure, there's basically fuzzing and penetration testing type of Correct. like services, right? So, mm -hmm. But it, it sounds like maybe your your position might be a mix of like maybe technical things as well as sales, um, yeah. more customer facing as opposed to uh, technology facing. Is that is that correct or what? Does that I look think that's like? pretty accurate. Yeah, um, as my role has evolved over, and I've been doing this for seven and a half years now. As my role has evolved, and I've, you know, when you're in CS, you know, it's almost inevitable that you're going to interact with sales and pre-sales and you end up having to educate customers on what they're about to buy like potential customers but like what you know why why should you get this and why is it interesting and in order to do that you have to prove to yourself that it's interesting right like if i do the research and i look at this and i'm like oh this actually doesn't add any value at all why would i keep working for that company um so i had to actually understand some of the stuff behind what we were doing and I found myself doing a lot more instead of just like the the post-sales stuff. Um, I found myself doing a lot more trainings. I found myself doing a lot more presentations. Now I do so many presentations. I, we did we just did one for 
SANS, uh, the Dev DevSecOps survey, we did that two, three weeks ago. I was a speaker on that panel. Um, in two weeks, I'll be in San Jose at the API World 2022 conference talking about API security. Um, these are things that like, you know, I ever expected to be doing, but like, because I have to know so much more beyond, oh, it's a fuzz testing product or it's a static analysis product. I have to be able to speak to the industry and I have to be able to speak to, uh, I guess the subject or, or the, um, you know, the topic at hand that um, when I do these trainings, I find myself pulling from other disciplines and pulling from other, um, you know, organizations in order to like, speak holistically on the topic of security and you have to understand how it how it it could potentially fit into whatever your i guess the, the customers are trying to do right how it fits into there because you know as you said you're there's always this um thing where you have like the developers the ops people who are basically always at odds and security is just trying to stop them from doing whatever it is they're trying to be doing right 100 so you have to be able to explain that um so what is your a day in your life you know look like as you said, as a technical solution, is it architect? Is that right? Or engineer, architect? Engineer. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it's so different. I know, I'm sure everyone says, I'm sure everyone says, oh, it varies. It does vary. <laughs> um, and I think, first of all, if you're in a job where your day-to-day -day work doesn't vary, um, I'm sorry. I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it's a just, job. right. Well, I think the mark of a good uh, boss and a good organization is to give employees like varied work. It keeps you fresh. It keeps you interested in what you're doing. Um, you're still able to build the core skills at hand, but you're, you do it in a way that's again, interdisciplinary. So a day to day, a day in my life, that's a good question. I usually wake up and make an obscene amount of coffee, probably like a, a liter of coffee. <laughs> press. It's a huge amount of coffee drink it all. And I usually start looking through, um, any sort of any sort of correspondence, whether it's email, Slack, something like that. Um, usually, interesting things will have popped up. Whether those will be, you know, customers asking interesting questions about like benchmarks they've run, or you know, a certain problem that someone's run into. I'll usually like to dive into those right uh, right away. Um, easy easy to respond emails. I'll take care of those. And then if someone asks like a super interesting question, it's like, why is this happening? I kind of really like like to do that stuff in the morning. So I will try and work on issues that customers have brought up. And then usually towards the afternoon, I'll have a, um, a number of calls. I'll either be pre-sales calls or there'll be uh, regular weekly, bi-weekly or monthly check-ins with customers. And usually when I do that, uh, we have an agenda where we're trying to figure out, you know, again, we, we don't, we don't want to sell people tools. I don't think that's perspective we have. Uh, more and more, we're, we're thinking of ourselves as a, as a DevSecOps company than just a fuzzing company because we don't want to sell people tools. We want to sell people like solutions and uh, we want to help them, you know, get uh, the things they need. So I find that um, a lot of times when I'm meeting with customers in those afternoon meetings, we're talking about, all right, well, we've already integrated fuzzing. What's our next step? Or like, what are we going to do afterwards? And a year from now, where, what do you want your security policy to look like? What do you want your thing to look like? I'll do that in the afternoon. And then as I'm kind of wrapping my day up, um, I actually uh, do a little bit of, um, I wouldn't say, I do the occasional development work where I'm like adding scripts or I'm, write, I'm writing scripts to make data um, processing a little bit easier for me. Um, we're doing this project right now where we're um, 
securing open source. And so we have a bunch of people who are integrating fuzzing into open source projects and then they're sending it to us. And that doesn't always, sometimes it works. Uh, sometimes the integration doesn't always work. So then I get to dive into um, the actual code of like these random, and it's like a different repository every time. It's a different language. It'll be Rust, it'll be Go, it'll be something like that that I have to learn. And I'll either like be like fixing builds or something like that. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, I, I usually kind of just go through um, a list of, you know, a list of customers, list of um, uh, things that I, I need to take care of and just um, either, I'll either schedule emails for the, for the next morning. Um, I love that, by the way. Thank you, Google, for allowing us to schedule emails. Because um, it, it's weird when you're like writing an email at like seven o'clock, you just schedule it for, for 9 a.m. the next morning. Um, or, you know, just checking on um, kind of the health and status of, of, of existing deployments. And so it's kind of preparing myself for the next day. So you you mentioned um, that you guys, you know, basically do the, the fuzzing. Um, do you consider yourself a salesperson or a hacker or a, hmm. you know, like a technical support or... Like, how do you classify yourself? Like, what is your, 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 I guess, maybe your resume, I guess, in the simplest form, what does your resume, you know, say that you, what type of person you are? That's a great question. I would say by and large, um, I consider my role a customer success role. So that is, it's post-sales and it's basically walking the customer from point of sale to whatever their security bills are. I do tech support again we're a startup so you have multiple hats every hat. yeah everyone wears every hat like a big stack of hats that i that i just carry around every day and yeah i do um some pre-sale stuff um i will meet with customers who will just have basic questions and those actually i really it sounds annoying but i really enjoy those calls because they always have such interesting questions about like how do i i have this unique problem that i need to solve and trying to talk with the customers to solve those problems is really interesting so who knows, maybe I'll find myself in a more pre-sales role in the future. But yeah, I think right now I would really consider myself customer success, post-sales from point of sale all the way till the end of the end of the deployment, whatever the customer's goals are, whatever they're, they're hoping to get. So what is what types of skills, if somebody wanted to um, go and be like, you know, hey, I want to be a technical solution engineer, right? Mm -hmm. What types of skills do those people need? What kind of type of knowledge? Like, because, you know, I, I see that you, your experience is kind of like, you know, pointed you in this direction over the course of time, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that might not have been might not have been like the most efficient way to get to where you're at, for example. So, you know, if you were going to, you know, provide like the the Cliff Notes version of, you mm -hmm. know, how someone does what you do, or it, or is it that you need, you know, certain certain experience in order to do well? What does that look like? So, I think it's important. I was never a proper developer. I, I was never in the role of a developer. But I think understanding. I worked with so many developers. I went to so many companies, and I saw like these like super wildly different systems you know some people where well, they would be pushing code changes every day and like they had this super like other people they like work in these siloed groups and then they have a finished product that they bring to other finished products and then everyone argues about like that they they're all wrong or something like that and then they have to go back to it understanding the development and the build process is key mm -hmm. um because a lot of times what i what i do if people will ask me questions about like hey, what's the best way to integrate or what's the best way to do this? And I need to be able to answer that from a place of experience. While I was never a developer, I worked with so many of them and I like helped so many of them set up, you know, security that I am, I feel very comfortable speaking to that sort of thing. 
Mm -hmm. So I would say in terms of skills, understanding the development cycle from, you know, from developing code, how they're pushing code changes, how they're doing checks, um, if they're doing any gating, how they're doing notifications, um, how they're managing tickets, how they're assigning tickets, things like that. Uh, this whole process and like uh, life cycle of developing and securing software. What I will say now is that it used to be the case that there was like a, a security team and they kind of did security and developers did development. And I'm seeing a lot more, at least in my role, that developers are taking the responsibility, not all of it, like there's still like mandates to come down, but like the responsibility of like implementing security, which mm -hmm. you would think would be really annoying. And you would think that developers would be like, oh geez, another thing on my plate. But what's another thing on a developer's plate is getting a random notification from a security team that they never talk to about something that they have to fix. If they're in the weeds and they're the ones, you know, implementing the tests or like setting it up, it's not a surprise to them and they have control over it. So understanding again, like the relationships between these teams is also very, very key. So I think those types of skills uh, are also really important. So understanding this, the SDLC lifecycle, understanding, mm -hmm. you know, basically programming languages as a whole, not particularly being an expert or a programmer mm -hmm. or, or anything like that. Is there any like thing that pretty much guides this from like a, you know, how can I show my, my expertise or show my skill level? That's also a very good question. I have an, a number of certifications right now. The only one active, I think, is the CSSLP. Hmm. I like it. I don't think it's make or break for me. Uh, I think it was really helpful in learning um, a lot of the language uh, and a lot of the subject matter um, around security. It, I don't think it was the thing that got me a job. I don't think it's the thing that will get me jobs in the future. It's mm -hmm. a nice to have and not a need to have. Um, so no certifications, basically. Like it's just basically like having an understanding and being able to discuss, you know, what it is you do and how it plays into different organizations and their development efforts. And I'll, I'll say this. I'll say that certifications get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. I don't think they allow you to win the interview, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what I, oh yeah, yeah, what I've found is that, you know, people will look at my resume or something like that because they'll see maybe I have a certification or maybe I worked at a company that they're interested in. Get your foot in the door, right? But then when you do the actual interview or you're talking about it, you really need to be able to speak to the process and, and show that you understand the process. Um, and I think that's, you know what I would say? Go find some open source that you're really passionate about, maybe that you use every day and just start contributing to it. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll learn so much about it because there's all these like checks that happen on the code. So then you're going to like, okay. And then, and then people will open tickets, maybe issues on code that you committed and then you'll have to resolve those. And you don't even have to be a developer. I, can, I don't think you have to be a developer. Maybe you can add a feature. Maybe you can just um, contribute, um, make something a little bit faster or, you know, you don't have to develop new functionality, but like, add a different tool or like there's like you know uh, set up a containerized build or something like that anything that where you're like oh this would make this more efficient or this could be an interesting or i'll add a security tool contribute to open source maybe add security to open source or something like that that will give you so much more experience and it's free it, like no one's gonna stop you i mean they could always reject your pull request but like in general no one's gonna stop you from doing that you can always mm -hmm. work repositories on github and add stuff so i think that's that, a really I think good I think that would probably also help as far as um, 
uh, a portfolio, especially for people who are oh. relatively, um, you know, at, you know, zero as far as experience, um, as well as give you something to talk about, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, challenges or during the interview process as well. Um, you know, yeah. it can definitely give you something to talk about. Totally. And make sure it's something you, you enjoy working on, right? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just go and go on GitHub and just find the first thing and just start hacking away at that. Like, there's so many cool things, so many weird software repos on GitHub. Um, yeah, find something that excites you, find something that's interesting and try and contribute to it. And yeah, like you said, that will help you beef up your resume. Um, it'll just also, it, it gets you in the mindset because the people who are contributing to open source have the same mindsets. They might give you advice that you would not otherwise get if you weren't already working on that project. It's just gonna put you in the, in the muck of it all. And, and that gives you so much more language and experience to speak with when you're applying for roles like these. So um, one of the things that I think just from interacting with you, I think you guys did a, a, a fuzzing uh, workshop for us. Um, and then um, mm -hmm. I think also um, you mentioned that you're going to go do an API um, talk at a conference um, mm -hmm. is is branding. Your, um, your picture is absolutely amazing that we have. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it looks super professional. Like, how does that, I guess, you speaking at a conferences, you, you know, having that, you know, branding, do you just happen to take a great picture? Or was this like, hey, I need some headshots? Uh, or how does that, that play was, into what it is that you're trying to do? That's funny. Uh, it's funny you bring that up. That picture uh, was from a photo shoot I did. A, a good friend of mine from San Francisco um, uh, is a photographer. And I was actually trying to um, take photos for, I still, I'm still a musician. Yeah. And so this was a photo shoot for like my artist stuff. And uh, she was really nice. She, she gave me a really great rate on it. And so a lot of those photos are, are from that, that photo shoot. Um, so uh, shout out to friends who like our photographers, honestly, that was really great. And I think uh, in general, we have a really strong marketing team. So like the stuff that we use and the content that we, that we create uh, within For All Secure, we have a strong marketing team. They uh do such a great job and they have a whole like it's it's a very small team so they do very good with what they're given uh yeah i think i think our marketing team is 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 amazing and they they do a really good job so are you doing like the conferences um as a part of your role there is it all a part of your own personal like plan it's for world generally domination? a part of my role yeah it's generally a part of my role in and for all secure um i have occasionally been asked to do stuff on the side uh, not often. It's usually through my role here at For All Secure, um, which, you know, if you're interested in doing more talks or conferences or things like that, I think working in a company that does that gives you um, a lot of leverage because there's a whole team to help you secure these opportunities. Whereas if it was just yourself, it might be a lot harder to do. I, I don't really have to do anything except develop the content. Um, and uh, our team takes care of the rest. So, yeah. yeah I, I tell people um, within our organization all the time, like that they need to work on their personal branding and raising like their, you know, brand awareness, if you will, like in the the cyber street so that people are aware of them and what they're working on just because mm -hmm. it helps to increase their visibility and their profile. And, you know, for the most part, when people are hiring people, you know, sometimes they go through like the, you know, the front door, but, you know, for the most part, they hire people that they know, you know, or have people referrals of people who knows somebody who, know, who knows them. Um, so I, I think it just, you know, helps in terms of raising their own visibility within the industry. 
That's a really good point that you raise. So you reminded me of something. Um, a lot of companies, ours included, um, do podcasts. Our, our, our podcast is the Hacker Mind. Uh, Rob Famosi runs that. It's honestly, it's such a good podcast. Like I listen, I would listen to it whether or not I was working for this company. It's a really good podcast. And there's a ton of really good podcasts that are produced by companies' marketing teams. Um, I find that, I don't know how other people do it. I find that our team, we almost never talk about our product in our podcast, which is what you would expect. Like, otherwise it would just put a bad taste in your mouth. Like, oh, this is just like thinly veiled marketing. Our podcast pretty much never talk about our actual, unless it's like a like a episode on fuzzing, of course we're going to talk. But other than that, like we generally never talk about our product or what we do. We just talk about the industry. And I think if you're passionate and interested in this stuff, it doesn't cost you anything, maybe the cost of buying a good microphone mm -hmm. um, to do your own research and maybe make your own podcast, put it out there on, on Spotify or something like that. Be part of that um, uh, culture, be a part of that, you know, conversation, you know, email people who you think are um, interesting cool. in the community. Yeah, if you, yeah, people who you think are cool and interview them, ask them questions and put that stuff out there so that when you do have uh, interviews with other companies, you can say, oh, I listen to your podcast. I also have a podcast you can check out. That's like one of those like meta resume things where it's like, it's not the piece of paper. It's not like your LinkedIn, but it's a piece of content that you have that people can go listen to and say, oh, this person actually cares about the subject in there. Again, this is not going to be for everybody. Not everybody's a podcast host. I'm not a podcast host. I wouldn't do that for myself. But if that's something you're into, it's a great way to like bolster your own like standing in the community. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if that's something, uh, being on a podcast is something that helps move you towards the direction that you're trying to get into. Like maybe, you know, being seen as like a voice within, you know, this particular topic or to be seen as like an authority on, on that particular thing. So, okay. um, so what's, what's up next for you? Um, I, I typically usually um, ask, you know, what's your world domination plan? Um, right. You've been at this job, I think you said for seven and some years, and then you at the job before this, I think you said you were there for five years. So are you, you know, what's, what's your trajectory looking like? What are you looking for in, in terms of like, you know, your future positions and, and like, what is the end goal? I'm not sure right now. Um, a lot of things interest me. I like the role I'm in right now. Um, I think what's been interesting a lot, me a lot more lately is actually being more on the development side of, of things and honestly more on the like vulnerability uncovering side of things, you know, um, people do get uh, a lot of money for like bounties like and bug things bounties, like that. Yeah. yeah, there's mixed opinions on that. Some people hate the bug bounty stuff because then people are like, give me money or else I'll release this vulnerability. I don't think that's a very ethical way to do things. I think you should always, you know, work ethically as much as possible. But um, yeah, I would say either something like that. But I also find that I really enjoy doing stuff like this, where I'm talking to an audience who has questions about security. So yeah, I, I, I find myself really enjoying trainings really enjoying creating trading content for people to try things out themselves because they always come up with interesting questions. And I also find out, find that I learn a lot of, about security in the process of developing materials because the best way to learn something is to teach someone else how to do it. Absolutely. Um, 
first of all, it, it, it's, it's a vulnerable thing because it uncovers the things that you think you know that you don't actually know, right? You sit down and you're like, all right, this is going to be the content. I'm going to talk about, I don't know, code coverage. And you start and you're like, wow, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Then you have to actually go in and make sure that you can speak from place of authority on something. So you're, you're like going in and researching it. And I find that really exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I think probably one of those two directions is where I'm going to go next. Okay. Um, so um, you mentioned that you were doing, you're still doing your music. So mm -hmm. what do you, do you have a band or what does that look yeah. like? And how does that go live into uh, kind of play into your day to day? In addition to all of the other bajillion things that I do, um, I was, I was a part of a band for a while. It was kind of like my own artist persona. It was called The Ringer. Um, I still have a website somewhere. Um, so I did that for uh, about, basically when I lived in San Francisco, I did that about, about three or four years. I live in New York now. Um, I don't do that so much anymore, but what I do is um, I take part-time classes at NYU on music technology, and I'm kind of seeing like areas where I can kind of meld the two disciplines, if you will. So I'm still writing music. I'm still finding ways to um, do musical things, um, but in, in a way that uh, I find more aligns to some of my skill sets with some of the, the technical skills that I have. There's a lot of cool things out there Super Collider is a, um, a, pro a programming language basically that allows you to uh, interact with open sound control and like basically make noises by like writing code. Mm -hmm. um, Tidal Cycles is another one. Um, there's some really cool programming languages for music out there, um, like graphical ones like Max MSP, um, stuff like that. Um, just a really interesting like CS music intersectionality uh, going on that I am finding myself a lot. Uh, a lot more interested in these days. So. Okay, cool. Um, I think that that's it as far as the questions I have. Um, I don't know if anybody that's in the room, if they have any questions. I do. Yes, ma'am. So, hello, thank you for today. Uh, and uh, thank you for your contribution, sir. That was fantastic. Um, so you just casually dropped, yeah, I'm fluent in uh, Japanese, uh, but then you also mentioned you're from Kentucky. How does a young <laughs> upstart from Kentucky get interested in Japanese? Was there something that inspired you? As far as I know, and I, it's been a while since I've been in high school, as far as I know, everyone's required to take a foreign language in high school. Um, and so most people take Spanish uh, or, or French. And I moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, oh. So I, I don't think I had satisfied my foreign language requirement. I was already kind of interested in Japan. I lived in Florida for a while and moved back to Kentucky, like sophomore, junior year in high school. And we had a Japanese teacher. And I was just like, oh man, that sounds so much more challenging than Spanish. I had already taken some Spanish classes. I was like, yeah, I can, you can always do the bare minimum and like get by, right? And I'm like, oh, I could just take a Spanish class and graduate and I'd be fine. But like, well, Japanese sounds so much more challenging. And I was right, it was incredibly challenging. Um, so yeah, you're right though, like uh, a high school in Kentucky offering Japanese, believe it or not, it exists. So yeah, I took a, I took a year of Japanese in high school and then um, that was all I needed apparently to study abroad. I had to take one year of foreign language in, in, a lang um, in order to study abroad. So I applied for a study abroad program, got in. And uh, at that point they dropped me off in Osaka in a host family and nobody spoke English. So I really didn't have a choice. It really was. And honestly, that's the best way to learn a language. If you want to learn a language, go to the country. Don't go to any of the touristy spots. In fact, don't go anywhere where you recognize what the sign is saying. Um, 
I, I find that like when I was in Japan, I would, there was to be restaurants where they'd be written in English and, and stuff like that. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to a restaurant where I don't know what it's saying. I don't know anything on the menu. And I just have to like awkwardly stumble my way through conversation and then get, I don't know, some horrifying part of a fish that I didn't know existed. Um, and, and, but that's like such, that's like a, a much better way. Of, uh, I mean, I guess I don't know any other ways to learn a language than that. That's the only way I did it. But I found that that was uh, like incredibly helpful in solidifying the, the skill set for me. I, I know that they probably like drop their job when you go to like a restaurant and then like order something in the language. And yes, it's it's much. Uh, that's uh, it's very. That's something that I really like about um, speaking Japanese is like the Japanese are always so impressed. I think if um, you know, I, I went to Mexico and I spoke Spanish, people would just be like, oh, whatever. Like it's not that impressive. But like the Japanese are so impressed when uh, anyone who's not Japanese uh, speaks, speaks Japanese. Speaks language. Yeah. <laughs> That's dope. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Um, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your, your day. Everybody take yeah, care. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks, everyone.